We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Into the Rotowire NFL podcast for the Thursday edition. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. We are hitting our stride here. We are into week two. We had a really fun week one. Uh, Mario, how did week one shake out for you? Um, how are your leagues doing? Uh, did you go get, have any like picks leagues where uh, you're going up against the spread, anything like that? Any good things to report from week one? Uh, not really. I mean, all my teams have Dak Prescott and Nick Chubb and Joe Mixon and uh, like Tyler Boyd, AJ Brown. So uh, nothing good for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I I continued. To, I think the most frustrating one. I guess all those guys were have varying degrees of it. Um, I think I, I watched enough of the Mixon one to to be because officially like mad about that one because I'm not the biggest Mixon guy in the world but I do have a couple shares of him and I do have him in leagues that I really do care about a lot and and I kind of was in that spot in the first round where it's like well I I don't want Kenyon Drake and I think it's too early for Josh Jacobs I want some Mixon exposure just in case uh, so let's go and it just 
Oh, it was so, so maddening on Sunday afternoon. Um, the AJ Brown stuff was frustrating too. Obviously we're, we're a couple of AJ Brown stands. I'm not like worried, worried, but, um, it w- it was like frustrating on, on Monday, uh, his performance going up against the Broncos. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it was kind of encouraging in a way because it's like, I can imagine that game being his lowest target share of the offense. In a given game, like Humphreys, Corey Davis, uh, and Johnny, I think, got seven targets. So I think A.J. Brown will be fine. Um, but, yeah, with Mixon's case, it was kind of I, – I, I figured that they would do a better job of, of uh, basically attacking downfield. And I guess they came close a couple times. Like there was a pass that Ross could have caught for a touchdown. And if – if Burrow puts it a little lower t- or toward Ross a little more, if Ross just somehow extended better, catch that, the game script goes a different way, Mixon gets more carries. So I figured he would kind of be, you know, hit or miss like that week to week on, on a, when the matchups get tough, especially just because, you know, that's why he was available in the late first, in the first place, kind of. It's like you knew that the offensive line wasn't great there. You knew the quarterback right. was a rookie. But if, if either of those things were in his favor, he'd probably be more like the fifth or sixth consensus overall rather than the eighth through twelfth or whatever. So um, one week doesn't really have me uh, tilting that much beyond than the, uh, you know, missed opportunity of one week in a uh, 12-week or whatever regular season. But in terms of making the best of, of what, you know, picks we had to work with, I don't really I don't really regret anything like that to this point. No, it's, it's definitely too early for that. So, dear listener, if, you, if you're hitting the panic button on one of your guys from the first five rounds, uh, give it a, give it a couple of weeks here. And, and uh, you know, things should start to normalize, stabilize, and, and start to work out. And, uh, you know, I like that we were talking about the Bengals there because <laughs> wouldn't you know it, the Bengals are playing here on Thursday night, going up against the Browns. Uh, the line in this one, Browns minus six. The line has moved from Browns minus seven and a half as when it opened way back in May. Uh, it's now uh, at Browns minus six. Um, this is this is an interesting divisional matchup. You know, if the Browns have any aspirations of competing this year, then they need to have this one. They just got shellacked on Sunday against the Ravens in Baltimore. Um, so what is your uh, read on this game? I don't understand why that spread is as big as it is even now. And I get it like that, you know, Cincinnati's unproven at best and they got the rookie and the ugly offensive line. Bobby Hart's probably lining up against Miles Garrett, which could go very wrong for the Bengals, but I thought Kevin Stefanski was really uniquely discouraging in his first game. Yes. I know the matchup was basically not winnable. Like the, I didn't expect that team to compete with the Ravens, and yet uh, it wasn't just the fact that they didn't compete. It was the ways that he went about various things, and I, I think uh, particularly with the utilization of the receivers, Kaderil Hodge and Rashard Higgins, they, they use Hodge as their third receiver, Higgins as their fourth, which is a Freddie Kitchens thing to do, and <laughs> Uh, the other thing was using Austin Hooper basically like Kyle Rudolph instead of Irv Smith in the offense. I, I it's like you you have him in in a fifty five snaps or something already blocking about a fourth the number of times as he did all of his twelve or thirteen games or whatever last year. Uh, that's that's insane. They had, they had Harrison uh, Bryant lining up in the slot something like two or three times as much as Hooper did. It's like you do that, you don't know what you're doing, uh, or at least like you, you've, you're very confused in the moment and maybe 
I'll give you one more week. But if, if you don't if you don't show the basic ability to understand the players that you have on your team, and if, if you put Austin Hooper out there uh, to basically be a pass blocker and, and have, have a rookie tight end, a fourth-round rookie tight end, running the plays that should have been going to Hooper, I'm already pretty close to willing to sit. I'm already pretty close uh, to saying, like, I have no hope for this guy. I, I don't think a smart person does what he's done and, already. Yeah, so that there's that element to it. And, you know, I'm, I obviously watched... Uh, every bit of that game on Sunday and they just seemed really out of sorts. It was almost like they like hadn't practiced at all. And, and it's like Freddie kitchens. Yes. They got like discouraged almost right away, you know, throwing the pick on the first possession, but then, then they showed some, some backbone for a little bit and pushed back and, and got a touchdown. But, um, you know, it was really discouraging, you know, piling on Stefanski a little bit here, but like, for the amount of special, like big special teams penalties that they had, like a bunch of just boneheaded fifteen-yard penalties, it's like what are the like what kind of outfit are these Browns, man? Like they they just seem completely out of sorts. Um, so the Bengals, on the other hand, obviously not as talented one to fifty-three as the Browns, but I think they're better coached, and you know, well, I think they are more talented actually. I mean. Greedy Williams is out. Uh, I don't know what the deal with Jack Conklin is, but he's playing. If he is playing, he's playing on a bad ankle, bad a broken finger or something like that. Jedrick, Jedrick Wills, Wills got hurt. Yep. So, I mean, I feel like Nick Chubb has to get going in this game because if if you can't get him going in this game, I I, I just I can't imagine what a head coaching hire could be good at. Uh, it's like this is just easy. Give him the ball. Uh, Geno Atkins is out. Uh, these they got two rookies playing about forty snaps a game at linebacker. Uh, the guy who's leading the way, Jermaine Pratt. He's he's not necessarily uh, like established or anything. So uh, particularly with Mayfield looking as bad as he has, and with the tackles, and he had being time problem- to throw too. Like he had, he, he won't, he, or he might not in this game is the thing, especially with those two tackles banged up and the Bengals have edge rushers. They got a lot actually like Carl Lawson, Sam Hubbard, Carlos Dunlap. They can slap up these Browns offensive tackles even before they're hurt. And Mayfield just looks awful. Yeah. And so it looks like he might have a bad playing situation in addition to his own, just not his own inability to play functional quarterback. Right. So, so point being, at least on my end was I'm looking at the NFL next gen stats time to throw. Um, he was third in the league um, in week one, had three seconds to throw on every drop back according to that. And still, you know, was as, you know, anemic and, and kind of uh, ineffective as, as always. And again, that was against a Baltimore pass rush that is not particularly good so like that that definitely adds up and like you said when you factor in that this week it's not going to be as easy he's he looked that bad with that much time and he's not going to have that that much time this time around i'm saying the word time a lot um it's going to be an issue and everyone's going to see it on thursday night i, I don't want to keep going too far into this game but i i think the browns are in trouble i think the the Bengals could win this one um yeah. outright yeah, I think so. A.J. Green was really good in week one. Uh, without Greedy Williams, they don't have anybody who can even slightly match up with him. Like Denzel Ward's their best corner, but you pretty much have to put him on John Ross because if you don't put him on John Ross, John Ross is running uncovered pretty quick. So I I feel like the Bengals kind of have most advantages in this game. And even with the home field, I just I, I can't imagine giving uh Cleveland more than like three points in this game and they're just too bad of a team yeah so the the um the Bud Light fridges that are under lock and lock and key or whatever in Cleveland they will not be magically opened 
this evening. Uh, I think that the, the Bengals will uh, make this an uncomfortable evening for the Browns. All right, let's move on over to Sunday. Uh, let's get into um, a Spider-Man meme of, of the quarterback world here. We got Daniel Jones going up against Mitchell Trubisky. Should be a lot of fun. Giants, Bears. Uh, the Bears are favored by five and a half points. That's a lot of confidence to have in the Bears. Bears obviously coming off of a uh, a fun, emotionally lifting uh, comeback win uh, that was definitely helped by a ridiculous drop by DeAndre Swift. Um, otherwise, we would be looking at this Bears team and already kind of uh, pulling the plug on them for, for 2020. But hey, they, they still have a pulse, technically. Uh, the Giants, on the other hand, they looked, I mean, Saquon notwithstanding, I thought that they were able to offensively not get completely devastated by the Steelers, which is about as, as good as you can do for an offense like the Giants. I mean, they had some, you know, Darius Slayton obviously had a very good game on Monday night, that that sort of thing. Um, but I guess the, the big question for us and for, for fantasy purposes is like, what what's up with Saquon? And, uh, you know, is the, is the, really kind of historically poor performance on Monday night, not necessarily like a sign of things to come, but it's a legitimate criticism where it's, it's partially the line, but it's also partially him trying to do too much. I think it's partially the line. I I think it was more so the matchup though. The Steelers defense just doesn't really give you much space. And when they do give you a glimpse of daylight, it's, it's only because someone else is closing in on your periphery real fast. So it's, it's just easy to get caught a lot. And I think Saquon though does have average at best vision out of the backfield. I think this has always been the case with him. And so he doesn't create space as well as he exploits it. And he can sometimes create space by breaking tackles. It's just the Steelers aren't the kind of defense that, you know, misses many tackles and they, they kind of swarm you enough that even if you do break one, you might, you might not go very far after that. So uh, with all that said, the Bears defense isn't exactly easy right. as far as that goes. But they did let Adrian Peterson run quite a bit. Uh, I don't think he's very good at this point. So Saquon – and also part of the thing with Saquon, the formula with Saquon the whole time has been that he gets those really long touchdowns every so often. So uh, he could go a lot of 20 carry stretches with only like 40 yards. That's just kind of who he is. And uh, you have to leave him out there, obviously, because eventually he will break the long play. And even when he's in a drought, he'll be catching a lot of passes. So in PPR, you know, it's like this is just kind of the nature of Saquon Barkley. And maybe in standard, we should reevaluate the the way that we consensus put him in the top three because – I just don't think he'll ever create. He doesn't see the field the way that players like Nick Chubb do, and uh, he he needs the space created to to run through it. So we're we're in the trust tree. I had the second pick in a draft just once uh, over the course of draft season. I think I'm in like ten or twelve leagues or something. I have a hard time keeping track. Um, but I went with Zeke over Saquon. I just had I, I had some concerns about the the boomer bust nature of, of Saquon, the Dow of Saquon, like we're getting into here. And, and, uh, so I, I went with Zeke and after watching both of their games on Monday night football, obviously, you know, one game sample, I'm not like basing everything off of this, but, uh, I feel a lot better about having made that decision to go Zeke over Saquon. I, I think that, uh, this line could continue to be a problem for the giants. And, and, uh, you know, that that's a division that has some pretty, you know, salty front sevens. So, I mean, you know, they're going to have to play Washington twice. We 
saw what, what that front seven looked like. Uh, Philadelphia's front seven. Uh, Dallas, a little bit easier to move the ball on. But uh, point being here, it's it's not going to be easy sledding for Saquon. He's going to have to you know get some creation going there. And, and like you said, he, that doesn't come as naturally to him as maybe uh, we were expecting. Uh, let's get on to the the, uh, the Bears side of this one and, and how they can exploit the, this Giants offense. Uh, well, the, the Giants defense, defense yeah, the defense is trash with the Giants. I mean, we knew that going into the year and uh, the, the ridiculous DeAndre Baker saga made things even worse. Go dogs. Uh, yeah, so they had uh, David Mayo was a, was supposed to start at linebacker. He got hurt. He's going to be out for a bit. So, uh, oh, and Xavier McKinney's out, of course. So this this defense is not good in any respect. Uh, they, I mean, I guess they have a big defensive line, three man defensive line. But I think uh, the Bears, like Montgomery, should be fine. Uh, Trubisky will never be a good, but his receivers should be about as open as they're going to get. I guess, I guess Bradbury's pretty decent, but I still think Robinson can dust him. And I don't sure. think any of the other ones can cover Anthony Miller or even like Darnell Mooney. So uh, no excuses for Mitch, but I still am not going to say he'll do well because he, he often fails in situations like this anyway. Okay. So uh, bo- bottom line here, um, I, I do agree with you on, on this being a favorable setup, at least in theory, for the for the Bears to to you know show out a little bit. The weather should be decent in Chicago this time of year. Um, but this is this is a, a a line that I'm maybe having the most trouble with this this week with the you know backing the Bears at five and a half points. Like, do I feel comfortable doing that? I don't know, but it's like you know, do I also think that the Giants can can keep a game close and not like play their way out of a game? Uh, it's it's a really tough one for me to to uh, figure out yeah i guess i mean it's kind of interesting it looks like there's a little bit more people betting on the giants and yet the line is getting bigger in the bears favor so uh some disproportionate investment in the bears there driving that and um i can i can get it a little bit i mean daniel jones is a bit of a chucker and he makes that boneheaded play in the red zone like that that's that's just stuff oh that he does. man that was and the Bears defense is good at putting quarterbacks in situations like that especially in chicago so uh i guess it's just kind of betting on the turnover proneness of of uh, jones in the context of the bears defense being fundamentally sound in other respects okay all right that that definitely adds up at least they have slayton he looked awesome but yeah yes. i don't i just don't trust anybody to do much uh, in, in in this kind of context with with the giants being the way they are yeah, I think I think Slayton is inching closer and closer to being like an automatic start. Um, well, I mean, if he can beat the Steelers like he did, I, generally you do want him active, I guess, uh, especially in standard leagues because he's such a big play threat. He's a good touchdown threat. Yes, so that definitely uh, worth considering with your lineup uh, setting for this weekend. Uh, let's move on to a game with uh, you know that should have one of the best offensive fireworks of the entire week Uh, we got the Falcons uh, going up against the Cowboys Cowboys favored by four and a half points in this one Uh, the line has dipped down it opened at seven you know way back when um, but it has moved around a little bit um, over the course of this week Um, it looked like it opened this week around six and now it's down to, to four and a half in favor of the Cowboys and the Cowboys were um, a team that had really really interesting line movement. I thought uh, last last week going into that Sunday night game, like I, I thought when we talked last on this podcast that the that the Cowboys were going to go into Los Angeles and take care of business. I, I think 
people started to realize the issues that were attached to that Dallas offensive line that maybe hadn't been properly acknowledged. Um, and we started to see that a little bit. And we, you know, by the time that kickoff came around, it went from the Cowboys, what, like minus three, minus three and a half to Rams, I think, minus one, uh, something like that. So um, that that was surprising. And then, of course, the Cowboys didn't get the win in Los Angeles. They had the, the controversial pass interference call off of uh, was it michael gallup yeah um so that that stunk that was that was tough but i i, I guess i understood the call in, in the moment um i wish it didn't you know get called but whatever anyway so do the cowboys bounce back this week against the falcons I, i'm guessing that they do in a, in a pretty big way i think the falcons are going to be a really they, the falcons could be this year's bucks in the sense that they just they're losing all the time they're playing from behind so they are just throwing the ball a ton and they're very very easy to score on so they're fun to target on the other side but they're it's also fun to have shares of this falcons offense yeah definitely i mean even russell gage had a big game last week and he was legitimately efficient uh still did less with his 12 targets than ridley and julio did of course but uh, i guess we'll see he uh, i'm pretty skeptical that he'll keep catching the ball at the rate that he has and uh, i don't think the target rate will be sustainable for him but you know one one game into the year he's, he, he looks better than he ever did the last two years his career at LSU so he could be a little better uh, than in past years and, and Julio and Ridley of course are, are just you know really great as a tandem maybe the best one two or as good as any other anyway and going against Dallas's corners I think and in safeties they, they should be kind of getting open quite a bit so as long as Ryan doesn't have an inexplicably off game I think the, the Falcons offense will do its part don't know what to expect of Gurley I guess I mean Leighton Vander Esch is out but I, I just don't know if Gurley is that much Vander Esch needs a, to stop tackling like using only his neck <laughs> yeah yeah some other thing try yeah uh, come on man win. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a good turn that his his career has taken. But uh, anyway, they're they're probably a bad defense. Dallas is, and um, I, I guess Gurley should be fine. But if if he doesn't spoil sort of the, the the aerial game by by just taking a bunch of production on the ground, then I feel like Julio and Ridley kind of have to be like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin last year, like you were saying, kind of just locked in that way. And yes. this matchup is one of the better ones, uh, maybe the best one. So uh, it has to be a big green light for those guys. I want to, before we get to that next part, I, I want to circle back to the, what like the third option in this, in this Falcons passing offense could be, because I, I think we were probably both expecting Hayden Hurst to be that third option. I, I don't think that either of us expected him to like re- replace Hooper's production one-to-one, but in that area of the field, it seemed like Russell Gage was the, was the automatic target. Maybe that's a function of Hurst not having the rapport with Ryan J- just yet and maybe as as the season progresses he starts to eat up the targets in that part of the field but right now um you know like you were saying with gage he drew 12 targets last week the average depth of target not far down the field just 7.2 so he seems if it you know if that becomes a trend that holds um then that that definitely cuts into into like hearst's projections i would say Right. And I wasn't a huge fan of Gage or Hurst going into this year, especially Gage. So I'm not really inclined to defend Hurst. But I still look I look at Gage's numbers here and I don't think they're sustainable. Sure. Because he to get one point five six air yards per snap, which he has through this one game. Uh, he needs to raise that depth of target like he won't be targeted that reliably. It, it, It almost necessarily involves Hurst not getting targets to, to for a gauge to do what he did last week. And then if his target account goes down, the question is like, well, how efficient is he going to be? And he's caught 75% of his targets. He caught nine of his 12. 
uh, still was credited with two drops. I didn't get to see those, so I don't know how, how egregious I consider those, but drops have been an issue for him each year. And he did about he did a little more than five yards after the catch per catch in that game when the last two years he's been right at about 3.6 yards after the catch per catch. So one and a half yards. So if, he, if he's like 100 yards on 12 targets instead of 114 when you do like the yards after the catch regression and if he's catching more like 66 percent of his targets instead of 75 percent like on Sunday, then you're already down to like five catches for whatever, 70 yards or something like that in a game where Ryan threw for as many yards as he did. So I'm not sold on Gage at all. I, I, I just, I don't think he can do any of these things. Any yeah, of these one, things that he one did. game shouldn't like undo like the, the analysis that you've done on him. I, th- I think you, you have it right on him, but you know, maybe it's, some, it's a fine enough spot for him all yeah. the same. Cause I, I feel like Ryan looks good and you know, as, as long as Gage is on the field, he's, he's going to be the beneficiary of that. Yep, exactly. So it, I would say Hurst game though. I think it's going to be a pendulum kind of thing. Okay. All right. That'll, that'll be, you know, something that, I, that I'm definitely monitoring within this Falcons offense, but yeah, all systems go as far as the, the quarterback and the top two receivers there and then on the Cowboys side uh, I guess the question is just like picking your spot of which of these receivers is going to go off against the Falcons maybe it's maybe it's all three I don't know yeah I mean Blake Jarwin is out which sucks that was uh, tough yeah I mean he's he's really good and Dalton Schultz is really bad so they're going to have to put that much more of the load probably on CeeDee Lamb if only because he's in that part of the field and, and structurally, you can only get so much of, of uh, Jarwin's production diverted toward Cooper or Gallup outside. So I think Lamb is the main beneficiary, and I would guess every one, all, all three of those guys are probably going to have to get at least six targets here. And uh, I don't know how you put one over the other. They all have the advantage with their matchup, I think. It, it just might kind of have to do with... You know, the play calls and, you know, when, which plays Dak has the best blocking to work with, stuff like that. Okay. And then is Zeke like RB1 this week, you think? Um, It's, it's hard to put him ahead of, uh, like, especially like McCaffrey, I sure. guess. But I can definitely see the case for it and and uh I, I definitely like the matchup quite a bit too yeah so it yeah he'll be someone to, that i'm definitely looking at uh for dfs purposes as well but yeah i, I think the cowboys uh will take care of business at home and the this offense one. will bounce back they're mm-hmm. still a stupid team and their defense will probably be bad all year but the the offense struggling like it did against the rams i'm not really worried about that in a low stakes game like this i, I consider it low stakes because i don't take the Falcons seriously no especially just not on not on defense and they they can't uh you know take advantage of of the inadequacies along that cowboys offensive line uh the way that the rams could obviously with, with uh aaron donald and, and all that we'll, we'll get to that because aaron donald gets to go up against the eagles this week so we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit um let's get on to the lions versus the packers uh the packers i think one of the one of the bigger surprises of week one um yeah. maybe not in the sense that they beat the um beat the vikings i think we both had the the sniff out um for that one they should have probably been favored in, in that one to begin with obviously um but they went into minnesota and really took care of business rogers looked uh like vintage rogers basically and and was carving them up um lazard proved lazard and uh marquez valdez scantling both proved to be you know like the big question mark, of course, is where does Rodgers look when he's not looking towards Adams? Adams obviously is is automatic now, um, but 
the where do the other two targets go and, and or who the other two top options are. Uh, it seems like both of them uh, are going to be capable. So I th- that's a huge boon for the Packers because I, I think, you know, you and I both were pretty critical of the Packers offseason inactivity when it came to addressing the receiving core. But at least for one week, uh, it looked good. And then on the Lions side, uh, they didn't have Kenny Galladay last week. That definitely hurt things. TJ Hawkinson looked good, of course. Uh, Swift, uh, the memorable drop, but did have a touchdown in that one as well Uh, obviously had a chance for that other one but yeah that matt patricia team just loves to blow it in the fourth quarter so he so so (laughs) i think the packers i think the packers take care of business in this one too they're six point favorites yeah it doesn't look that great for galladay or desmond trufant to play so uh it's not like adams needed anything made easier for him after the week one he had and but it's, it's almost like two uh, with Trufant out, maybe the Lions are so bad on defense that the, the Packers don't even really need to use their Adams tricks. They can just kind of go to Lazard more, maybe, I don't know, get get the running game going a little bit more. But it should be a really good setup for Aaron Jones. And, I mean, if Rodgers keeps playing like he did last week, I know, I know some of it was just the Vikings' defense isn't as good as it used to be. And maybe some of the plays were just kind of a fortunate setups but i really don't think rogers has looked that good in quite a long time and if he keeps playing like that they're they as a team they're as an offense things will just kind of work themselves out and uh, when it's narrowly channeled like it is through devonta adams and aaron jones they both you know they they're probably going to not do uh, especially adams isn't going to do what he did last week every week but not because there's no reason why he couldn't i mean it's it's like it's it's big green light again and on the lions side I, I don't really know what to make of it because um that that offense was just so ridiculously managed last week to give deandre swift 30 plus snaps and give him three carries or whatever it was and spending a second round pick on that guy after he's been a second round pick on carry on johnson just to put adrian peterson in that role Oof. after three days of practice it's just just a circus they should really be embarrassed with themselves um but they are uh, i think still lions charge, fans are properly so, ashamed um, <laughs> i mean they're still in charge so i don't see any reason to think anything will get more reasonable over there matt patricia is a bad coach because he ultimately chooses to be one and he didn't get this far by you know, being a different person than he is. So I think he'll go down just doing the same stupid, like it's almost like nihilistic too. It's not, there's not really like a pattern to how stupid he mismanages things. It's just this, it's like Thursday. He decides like we should make an Adrian Peterson offense. Like, why didn't you think of that in May? You probably could have got him for like a seventh round pick or something. It's, It's like, he just inverts concepts on, on like moments notice or something, or at least I don't know what the hell else he was thinking. Like we got to get Deandre Swift. Like if you're, if you're spending that pick on that guy, it should be because you plan to make him a foundational piece. Not so you can make him like half of a theoretic. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, with no Galladay, it seems like they, you know, have to give him the ball. It's just that, uh, I don't know. I think the Packers defense, you know, it's like, they're like a five defensive back defense anyway. It's like, they're kind of sitting there ready for it. So I guess with that in mind, you know, that that covers several things. But I guess the Packers, if there was one kind of bad takeaway from their performance on uh, on Sunday, it was their their rushing defense. So do you think that, you know, this is a spot where it was I guess both of these run defense were, were bad and obviously one game sample. But uh, the Packers were given up over six yards per carry. Uh, the Lions gave up over five yards per carry. Um, so, yeah. Do, do you think this is a spot, you know, crazy coaching 
uh, tactics notwithstanding where, where Swift, you know, starts to gain some traction. It does feel like a spot where that's a possibility. Although if the lines fall behind, then they have to kind of look away from the run a little bit. I, I don't know if they make plans. I don't know if they have thoughts exactly. I don't know on what bases they choose to do the things they do, but I, I think they're going to more or less do what they did last week and probably a few more carries for Swift. But I think they're going to try to make this an Adrian Peterson offense. And if Galladay's out, I think they'll feel that much more validated in choosing that course. So uh, I think they'll blow it. I think Green Bay is totally fine. Um, but yeah, as, as long as Rodgers doesn't regress to like, you know, 2018 form anyway, I think the Packers should just kind of make the Lions look as bad as they are. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, yeah, kind of echoing your sentiment and just kind of like combing back through my Rolodex I feel like this is probably the best that Rodgers has looked since the since he took the Packers to the NFC championship last time uh, when they got like just stomped by the Falcons but he was really good throughout the course of that year and had that memorable game against the Cowboys that that's that that's the sort of form that the Rodgers reminded me of on Sunday so if that continues and that's that's huge um, for the Packers um, before we get on to our next game we got a message from a couple of our sponsors uh, leading us off here our friends over at owner's box do you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports but you live for the quick hit of DFS then the, be the first to try weekly fantasy sports or WFS from owner's box owner's box is kicking off the 2020 season in a big way by giving everyone 25 owner's bucks to try the game for free in addition owner's box will be matching users first deposit up to 50 dollars weekly fantasy sports keeps players engaged through live drafting social interaction and a new layer of strategy that puts the power back in your hands compete with your opponent over seven days of fierce competition and get paid out weekly new public and private contests start every day the owner's box game provides us with a fun and engaging rule set that revolves around a set number of game opportunities by roster position your players earn you points throughout the week but only if you have enough games available at that position. Owner's Box allows users to engage socially in multiple different ways with the community. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. Sign up today to try weekly fantasy sports for free. But that's not it. Each weekly fantasy sports contest you participate in will give you money or will give you one entrance into a signed Drew Brees jersey giveaway. In honor of the NFL season, Owner's Box will also be matching your first-time deposit up to $50. Head on over to ownersbox.com slash rotowire to claim your reward rewards and join the new wave of fantasy sports. And then we also got a message from our friends over at Prediction Strike. Prediction Strike is a fantasy sports stock market on which you can buy and sell shares of professional athletes as if they were stocks. Ever heard someone say, I've had stock in this player since day one? Well, now Prediction Strike makes that a real possibility. You had stock in Patrick Mahomes his rookie year? You knew this would happen? Now it's a reality. Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. To get started, simply visit PredictionStrike.com to create an account. Then deposit funds to go buy, sell, and hold shares of your favorite players just like you would real stocks 
Each game is like an earnings report. If the player beats his projections, his stock moves up. It's that easy. You can trade your shares of players at any given time as long as a player isn't currently in a game. Get started today by visiting predictionstrike.com and sign up with code ROTOWIRE to get an additional $10 with your first deposit of $20 or more. Again, that's promo code ROTOWIRE to go ahead and get that additional $10 on your first deposit of $20 or more. All right, Mario, moving on we got a couple of teams that fell real flat in week one we got the vikings going to indianapolis to face off against the colts uh the colts i'm sure a lot of people wince at the at the mention of them uh especially if you're in survivor that seemed like the lock of the week uh but it's funny how the the lock of the week in week one year over year seems to end up either like causing like the greatest like panic sweat of all time or ultimately uh blowing up in your face i mean last year uh, memorably, Seattle going up against um, Cincinnati uh, had to pull that one out at the very end. And then a couple of years ago, Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Buccaneers going into New Orleans to face off against the Saints. And, and the Saints were really heavy favorites in that one. They blew that one. Uh, Indianapolis goes down to Jacksonville last week and <laughs> just lays an egg. And, you know, I'm, I'm not taking a victory lap here, but I did caution just saying that, like, Phillip Rivers could be a limiting factor for, for this Indianapolis team. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely wrong about that game. I don't really I was know if I think Rivers was the limiting factor as much as just the Colts' defense coming up totally flat. <laughs> and I, I don't really know. I, like Sometimes the answer to week one results is as simple as it doesn't really mean a whole lot. And <clears throat> excuse me, there's, there's you know the best case of all time is probably week one of the 2000 season when the Ravens with Tony Banks beat the Jaguars like 45 to 42 or I something like that. I was at like that game. That was amazing. Yeah, you were. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then, of course, you know, uh, not only did Tony Banks never really like throw a touchdown again, but they switched to Trent Dilfer and their defense carried them every single game the rest of the way. Um, so there's, there's weird stuff like that that happens. And this game uh, may have had some sort of noise effect being week one, maybe being in Florida. I have no idea what the the issue was with the Colts. But yeah, Rivers can't throw downfield and they basically needed him to in this game. So once it, once it became clear that they needed that, it, it was looking pretty bad for the Colts. I don't think they're going to end up in that situation in this game, if only because I, I feel like as long as their run defense doesn't let Dalvin Cook start breaking 40 yarders on them, and I don't know, maybe they will let him do exactly that. Uh, as long as they don't, though, Kirk Cousins only can really get something going in garbage time, in my opinion, just because there's only so much you can get out of Adam Thielen, and he's really good, I think. But They need a second that, so badly. Sorry, what's that? They need a second option. And, and you know, I pounded the table for Justin Jefferson, but it, clearly he's not there yet. I mean, I think he probably is. I'm tr- I'm attributing that to a coaching failure. I think you have coaches like Andy Reid who just uh, – not that even Andy Reid does this that much. But he you can tell him with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he decided like, oh, well, we're going to get him ready though. And I think the Vikings – and Mike Zimmer is the kind of coach who would pull something like this. He would, he would be like, oh, the, the rookie has to prove it to me. And it's like, no, man, your job is to get the rookie ready. You're not as important as the rookie. Like, you should get the rookie ready to play. And if you can't do that, then maybe you should reconsider your, your entire approach as a coach. Because, um, yeah, he's the best player. They, they needed to get him ready because he was their best chance to attack uh, that wide receiver two spot. And they didn't get him ready. So or, or they wouldn't give him the chance. I don't know which it is. But uh, they're going to be a worse team now for that fact because B.C. Johnson can't do the things that they need from that role. 
in the offense. And early in that Green Bay game, Thielen and Cousins especially were really struggling, actually. It wasn't until late in the prolonged garbage time that either of them got going. Yeah, did so, Cousins have like four passes in the first half or something? Am I remembering that right? I don't remember, but I, I did watch a lot of that game, and he was not doing anything. He was he just useless uh, when the game was actually competitive. I know they got a rally late, but it was you know it was it was one of those you know, fake rallies. Basically, yeah. uh, he didn't get anything going when anything mattered. And I know the Colts' defense isn't very good. Like Xavier Rhodes' surprise uh, sucks, even <laughs> even in a different scheme. But I just don't think Cousins is very good, and you can devote enough of your defensive bandwidth to Thielen that you don't quite leave yourself vulnerable to Cook, and there's not a second option, like you said, to to make the defense uh, reconsider this approach. So if they take this approach, I feel like they should at least contain Cook and Thielen, and that's all you have to do to beat this team is don't let those guys have one of their biggest games of the year, and you should be fine because their defense is not very good anymore. I mean, losing Linval Joseph... It was probably an underrate uh, or an un- overlooked um, sort of sort of right. uh, aggression risk, and, and they, didn't, uh, out. they didn't. They uh, didn't. They seemingly would have covered for that with the Michael Pierce edition, but he opted out. So what they thought was was fixing the problem uh, of well, the Joseph that departure. Is- it's like J- Joseph's just one of the best defensive tackles sure. of the past like 10 years. And Pierce is kind of like half of Joseph. Like he could have been as good at r- stopping the run as Joseph uh, without being a- anything against as a, as a pass rusher. And uh, I guess it's basically like Jaleel Johnson who's replacing him this year. And he might be fine, but he's probably not one of the best. And then Daniel Hunter, definitely one of the best defensive ends. He's out. Uh, Eric Kendricks, I noticed, had 10 tackles last week. I wonder if, if he has to make more tackles this year because of the defensive line letting more things get to his level. Uh, like we were talking about all offseason, the entire corner rotation is redone in Minnesota, and it doesn't look that great personnel-wise. So it, it, you know, it's questionable personnel that is questionably prepared. They're probably going to be bad most of the year or all of the year. So I, I think that uh, Paris Campbell sets up pretty nicely here. He, was, he runs in that range, obviously, where Rivers can throw the ball. Uh, he was primarily the slot guy to this point. And uh, I can't remember who the I didn't look up who the who the Vikings were using in the slot last week. Um, I guess it's either Hughes or Gladney. I think it's Gladney. Um, so he, he's going to be going against Gladney or Hughes. I'd rather see him against Hughes because I don't think Hughes can run with Campbell at all, whereas at least Gladney can run a little bit. Right. But um, it was a tougher matchup that Campbell had last week against DJ Hayden, and he did really well. So uh, it would make sense for, for Campbell to keep the momentum here. Uh, Pittman. Pascal, Hilton, they should all be able to get open. I don't know if Rivers is likely to get them the ball. But uh, in the meantime, I guess uh, Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor are just going to have to keep catching a lot of passes. But I, that'll be interesting in this this setup because Eric Kendricks is not the kind of guy you want to take that offense to. You know, uh, if you had the under on when we would bring up Jonathan Taylor on this matchup, uh, sorry. Uh, to <laughs> but he, he, sh- he should be able to run on them. I mean, I, I think... Last week was about as weird of a game as it could have been for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I didn't expect him to do as well as a pass catcher as he did, and I expected him to do better as a runner. But that he only had, whatever, 27 yards on nine carries makes me that much more sure that he's just closer to the the explosion point in in his broader sample. So uh, with the Vikings being the way they are, I think it's a fine setup for, for this to be the game. Yeah. So I'm just I'm very low on the Vikings right now. Um, like you said, it's sort of just a two man show as far as that offense goes and the defense is is 
way far away from what it used to be. So even for a team like Indianapolis that I'm I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid on as much, I still think that they're they should be able to take um take this one at, you know, minus three. And I think that like you said, um this sets up well for Jonathan Taylor. It sets up well for the passing game. Uh, they just need to play within Rivers' uh, limitations. But I think that even that, uh, they should be able to get it done uh, on Sunday. Um, let's move on over to the Bills going up against the Dolphins. Bills obviously kind of steamrolled the Jets in week one. That doesn't really tell us a whole lot about the Bills. It just confirms what we know about the Jets. Uh, the yeah. Dolphins, on the other hand, um, didn't put up a, a great fight, I, I didn't think, against uh, New England. Um, no. So they look like they're they're still probably uh, third at best in, in this division, uh, much against my my preseason hot take. Unfortunately, um, what do you what do you make of this game with the Bills checking in at uh, five and a half point favorites? I guess I would pick the Bills to cover that, if only because uh, well, Parker Devontae Parker is going to miss some time for the Dolphins, and Fitzpatrick's just not very good. So you wouldn't want to uh, you wouldn't want to really. Be, be bound to him going into this matchup even if he had parker i can imagine i don't know i mean tremaine Ed, edmonds might be out for the bills but i and matt milano might be out but i guess i don't know one of them should be in and if as long as that's the case i'm not really worried about the defense but even if the buffalo defense has a bad game i definitely think that uh the, the bills offense has, has a bunch of skill position talent and brian dable is one of the best offensive coordinators in the league. So as much as I don't think last week will keep happening for Allen, uh, more specifically, I don't think he can accumulate that play volume in most games. And if if he's throwing the ball that much and only getting about 7, 6.8, whatever it is, yards per attempt, he's going to make more mistakes in the next sample of that many pass attempts that he makes. At that particular – in that particular sort of setup. So At least he had that I, one cartoonish miss in the end zone. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and I mean, I, I know some people are already trying to say, like, ooh, Allen's here now. It's like they just ran a lot of plays. And that team has very clearly been trying to justify Allen. Like, they're trying to make him a thing. And I, I think they used a decent number of their tricks last week, even though it was a, it was a really easy matchup, too. It's like that was a game he needed to do well in. And and he, he did kind of okay with efficiency-wise, and he was great in fantasy because he threw, like, 44 passes and ran 15 times. Uh, so uh, unless they run, like, 1,400 plays this year and they won't then scenarios like last week just are very unlikely to happen like he'll need to up his efficiency or his his just his production will just go down uh with that said i i don't i'm not really worried about like going from buffalo to miami i i, I don't know off the top of my head if Allen uh loses much on the road or whatever but i just feel like the dolphins are bad enough and, and their, their defense isn't imposing enough to really take the bills off of their script and in their script, they have a lot of means to attack you with, you know, two decent running backs, at least uh, Diggs is exactly the same as what everyone thought he would be. John Brown is still the downfield thread. Dawson Knox and Cole Beasley are pretty good third and fourth uh, pass catchers. So I just think that the bills just have tons more ammo than the dolphins. And I also think the dolphins are poorly coached. Okay. So I got to selfishly ask you a question here then uh, regarding Zach Moss and where he falls in your pecking order. So would you start Zach Moss? We had a very encouraging uh, week one. uh, So his debut there, Um, would you start him over say like a David Montgomery? No, just because 
Singletary is going to stay, you know, getting getting in the way. And I know I know Moss and Singletary will have to get more carries per snap. It actually kind of reminded me of how uh, before he got the ball a lot late last year, Devin Singletary kept playing like 45 snaps a game in the first month, but he'd only get like four or five carries because they mm-hmm. were trying to make Josh Allen both the the exclusive runner and the, the passer. And uh, that can't keep up quite the way they've done it uh, early last year and in week one of this year. But still, like 39 snaps, getting, getting only nine carries isn't uh, what I want to see in the meantime. And Singletary does enough well that I, I can't take it for granted that Singletary will just, you know, assure Moss's opportunity uh, by failing in Singletary's part. So I don't really want to mess with Moss or Singletary unless they're kind of like flex plays and yeah. you know, ideally they're on a best ball roster. So I don't have to think about any of it. And Montgomery's a potential workhorse and, and a definite starter. So uh, yeah, I, I'd have him quite a bit ahead of, of Moss, even though I think Moss is the better player. Okay. All right. That, that adds up. I, I think that that, that makes sense and makes me feel a little bit better. gives me a better sense of what to do about uh, Moss uh, for this week. But cer- certainly he's like, you know, he's in that, zone of your roster where like you're you're not considering dropping him uh whatsoever no, no um, definitely don't do that <laughs> so don't, don't drop him for you know a fl- the the flashy uh week two pickup whoever that might or the week three pickup uh whoever goes off this week out of nowhere uh don't jump off the moss train the moss uh should be here to stay but yeah like you said there, there could be some frustrating usage at least until he really starts to establish himself um and then on the miami side uh <laughs> Miles Gaskin, like what? What's going on? I don't on? know what's going on with <laughs> that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why they make the Howard trade if they like Gaskin that much. I, I think Brian Flores is just a goofy coach, and I'm kind of sick of his whole team, sick of dealing with his players. So uh, <laughs> I'm not picking any Dolphins. I, I guess there at some point has to be usage for Preston Williams and Mike Gesicki. They're pretty good. I think Brita can be good, but I, I just. Uh, that that offensive line is still bad. The quarterback is bad. The coach is a silly person. I just don't really want to mess with any of them. Uh, fair. Um, I, I have some Howard. I don't know what to do about it right now because of- what can you do? It's like you, you can't really cut him, but can you really put it? You can't put him in the lineup, can you? No, I don't know. I I, I'm definitely not. I can't do it. It's um, a mess. Yes, yes, it is. Miami could be good. Like I, I'm still, I'm dug in on that. Flores but. is just, it's like some coaches are really good at certain things. And this guy is good at a lot of coaching stuff, I bet. But none of it has to do with making good decisions. It's like he's, he should be your rah-rah guy. Your, your guy who gets the troops motivated, or maybe he's good at running a practice. I don't know. But when he's at the control room, he just crashes the thing immediately. <laughs> it's it's not great, folks. All right, let's move on over. We got our next game. We got the Niners coming off a very disappointing uh, week one loss. We looked a little sleepy out there and then going up against uh, the Jets. So this is obviously a great bounce back um, opportunity, but they are going West Coast to East Coast early in the season. So there, there's something to consider there when it comes to the spread, I think, specifically with the, with the Niners checking in as touchdown favorites, seven point favorites um, to be exact over um, the Jets. But I still think that the, the Niners are probably like the chalk as far as like survivor for the week but i think there's some reason to like not dive in with both feet on on the niners against the spread here even though the jets are are that bad right i think garoppolo is not very good and uh if i don't know he he has a decent matchup here in that the outside jets corners probably aren't so great they definitely don't want to like run down field 
Uh, I just don't know if I guess Ayuk, if he's back, that could change things. But I don't know if they can really threaten on the outside, even if even if they have him and Garoppolo. I just don't think that's really his game. So if Kittle's not playing, and uh, let's see, Brian Poole is going to be on Trent Taylor, so I don't think the slot will really be an option. And the Jets' run defense is usually pretty good. Uh, I don't actually see how the 49ers offense gets much going here, and the seven points is too much for me. I, I would pick them to beat the Jets, but it's more because I just figure that the, the 49ers defense uh, being so much better than the Jets will will kind of just make – like the Buffalo defense will just kind of make this the – the Jets offense completely it, it, like just just no function at all just like it can't go okay and then to to be clear you know with, with Le'Veon Bell being out is there anything to look at in, in this Jets backfield would be it Frank Gore Josh Adams anything like that I don't think so and I guess we got to keep an eye on Jameson Crowder who wasn't practicing today uh, if he's out I guess you could maybe uh, make the GPP argument for Brashad Perriman if only because you might have four entire quarters here where the Jets keep ending up in third and longs. And I feel like if if I'm running a team and I'm, I'm getting like just nothing going an entire game, eventually I'm saying, all right, well, let's just chuck it then. And if it's garbage time, especially if the defense gets a little sleepy, it's like all it takes is one guy like tripping over his foot a little bit and Perriman maybe gets a long touchdown and, and an otherwise completely ineffective game. Uh, yeah, but otherwise, I guess Herndon's going to have to get like 15 targets for, you know, 35 yards or something. OK, so if he catches like eight of those, 35 yards. I and mean, PPR, PPR that's great. Yeah. Solid 15. Yeah, <laughs> that's what, yeah, that's what we're shooting for, man. We, we just care about the end result. It doesn't matter how ugly uh, the box Jets score. Suck. They're so they, are, they suck. Mine. They're so offensively bad. I hate it, them. It's insane. Uh, it is. It's it didn't have to be like this. Jets. You you already like the Miami already took the fall with Gase like you didn't have to make that mistake again by hiring him. It's just ugh. there has to be a, a, a fu- like a fundamental darkness in your soul to hire Adam Gase after <laughs> that Miami episode. Just yeah. like a commitment to to like a dark art of some kind. It's <laughs> it's clearly something bad not not good news whatever they're up to over at the Jets building. It's not even cool dark arts. They aren't casting spells. They don't even have cauldrons it is a boring dark arts i don't know whatever it is i don't care for it jets um let's move on over to the rams going up against the eagles this is close to a, a pick i here philly uh one point favorites in this one i believe the line has moved a decent bit in this one uh the rams really um outperformed my expectations on, on sunday night i don't want to like fall victim to just one game at home and and you know uh overreacting and then on the other side it's also easy to overreact about the Eagles and, and their collapse in Washington in week one. Um, that offensive line looks like it's going to be a problem. I know that Lane Johnson, I think, is on his way back um, this week. So that, that would certainly help. But Jason Peters is, ban- is on the injury report um, with, with a knee. Um, so that's obviously not great. Um, hopefully, Miles Sanders is, is going to be back in the fold. I think that's he the, should be ready. the expectation. Um, but in any case, you know, for a game that that uh, in terms of the line was three and a half on uh, Monday uh, or or uh, after the game on, on Sunday. Uh, now it is uh, Eagles minus one. I don't. I just don't know. Like Aaron Donald versus the interior of that Eagles offensive line just feels like something that could wreck this entire game on its own. Yeah, and I don't really see. 
I mean, I guess I guess it's going to be at tight end where the Eagles would have to make their hits in the in the passing game because uh, Jalen Rager might see a lot of Jalen Ramsey or Deshaun Jackson might see Ramsey. I don't know. Deshaun Jackson is is actually their best chance of getting past these corners because Troy Hill and uh, Jalen Ramsey are more built for like six foot receivers than a like a five nine or whatever Deshaun Jackson is. So. Maybe they can get him going deep. I don't think the Rams have any edge rush ability. It's like Leonard Floyd. I don't think he's actually good. Uh, D- Donald can, of course, wreck the interior, like you said, or wherever he's lined up. He can wreck that part of the offensive line. Uh, interior is probably the easiest way to do it here. So he'll get his hits. But I, f- I feel like if they can just get a deep shot to to Jackson, they can make some big plays here. And Miles Sanders, I don't know. I feel like he should be able to get something going as a pass catcher. I don't know how... I don't know enough about the Rams' new defensive scheme to have an idea of where everybody's going to line up, but those inside linebackers are kind of questionable for the Rams. And Sanders, Ertz, Goddard as as like a as a three part threat in the middle of the field, I feel like is going to be taxing on, on the Rams. And, and if if Wentz can't get one of those guys going, I mean, I guess it got Goddard going last week, and Ertz had his touchdown, of course. But um, Sanders being there should take that to kind of like the next level. He's he's more of a threat in that capacity than Boston Scott. So uh, they can maybe get like a little bit of like a, a high low sort of passing game, like striking deep a couple times to open up these these dink and dunk things to the tight ends and running backs. But I don't know if Sanders is really the type to run over the Rams. Like I can't get a they're running more like a two gap scheme this year, which theory theoretically makes it easier to, to kind of like stop the run, which had been a problem with Wade Phillips and his one gap scheme. It's, it's theoretically giving up some of the attack element to, to create more of like a fortified uh, gap uh, containment. So I don't know if, if Sanders is likely to run all over them, but they should be able to get him going in the flats and, and they kind of need to. So I, I would expect him to kind of get off to a fast start there. Uh, on the Rams offense side, I, I feel like McVay used quite a bit of his bag of tricks, especially in that first drive against Dallas. Like I don't even, I like to make fun of Dallas, but <laughs> I don't know what they were supposed to do about some of those Robert Woods plays. Like those were, he had a those caravan like down the sideline. It was wild. And I, I get it. It's like some of those plays are just McVeigh spending all offseason coming up with a trick he can only use once or twice all year, you know, and they, they got the card pulled on him in that game. Uh, they might have wanted to use it in this matchup, though, because the, the Eagles pass rush is a lot better than the Dallas one, I think. And um, I don't know, I guess Slay might be able to kind of do okay against Woods, but McVeigh is so good at taking matchups out of the game. Like he's so good at just scheming situations for his guys. And and uh, maybe it's Cooper Cup kind of game. Maybe maybe he thinks the Eagles are going to be waiting for his Woods tricks and maybe they got to go to Cup or Higby to, to surprise them. I don't know. But uh, I think Goff will be okay or whatever uh i i do worry about that that philadelphia pass rush a little bit but uh i don't think that the rams can expect as good of a game out of malcolm brown i he looked good against he dallas did. he looked way better than i ever thought yeah and it's kind of like i don't know if i really believe he can keep that up and the eagles run defense is better than dallas's so uh the rams uh, Goff does need to do more in this game uh, I, I think um i think i think wentz could struggle quite a bit and Goff still wouldn't safely take them to a victory unless he basically does more than he did last week. Okay. Theoretically, let's say you had Le'Veon Bell. He's out of your lineup, obviously. You scoop Malcolm Brown this week. Can you can you start him? Well, yeah, I guess it just depends on what the alternative is. And in, in the meantime, it sure looks like Brown is well ahead of Akers and Henderson. So if, you know, if if... 
if the Rams are the favored team or if, if you think they can win, then it's like the starting running back on a winning team kind of just has a, a sort of inherent value to it. Yes, it certainly does. Um, Darrell Henderson, Henderson broke my heart. I, I just can't believe it's gone this way uh, through. The- uh, it's it's going to there's going to be fluctuation all over that offense and especially in that backfield all year. Uh, like and also Henderson was probably still you know a little hobbled coming sure. back, but sure. him and Acres are going to start popping off, and, and it's going to piss off anyone, everyone when it happens because it won't be obvious before it happens. Right, and the you know the the guy that spent forty percent of his fab on Mark M- Malcolm Brown will um, just be very very displeased. And then I, I guess one more like kind of overarching question uh, about this game: it's early, but is this a must win for the Eagles? I think it's like you know it's 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 pretty close. What is it, it's zero and three where you're pretty much done for the year, right? So I think that's that threshold. Yeah, I don't know what their week three team is, but uh, they weren't planning on losing week one, you know. So it's it's kind of already heightened uh, urgency for them. Yeah, so uh, they they need to get this done. That the pressure's on already in Philadelphia. Let's move on over. We got Steelers Broncos. Steelers seven and a half point favorites in this one. Uh, I don't expect a ton of offensive fireworks in this one. The over under checking. In at 40 and a half I thought Roethlisberger looked a little bit better as the game went on I thought he looked really really kind of hesitant um, early on in that game against the Giants but got more comfortable as the game settled in uh, Juju Smith-Schuster looks great um, there I thought I guess if there was another like kind of big takeaway from, from that Steelers game against the Giants Benny Snell looks different uh, he looks faster than I've ever seen him um, I, I don't know uh, where you are with, with him and your reaction to, to his performance. But um, I guess the the question that we were kind of kicking around throughout the summer was, you know, what happens with this Steelers depth chart if James Conner gets hurt again? And it seems like Conner, you know, we had, or I'm sorry, Snell, like we had our questions about, you know, can, can he like run fast enough? Like, basically can't is he quick enough to you know be someone that the Steelers can trust on those first two downs type of thing and he he seemed like he was on on, uh, on Monday night maybe that was a mirage um, we, we obviously have had reason to doubt him in in the past the prospect profile just not really testing that well but I mean lo and behold he looked great I thought on, on Monday night so where are you with the Steelers backfield now well I think if Connor is available then I know some people are kind of thinking like Snell might take over this backfield now. No, no, it's going to take Connor being hurt. And Connor has certainly shown a way of getting hurt and staying hurt. So I I don't want to like, I don't want to say that that's not a serious possibility because it's already happening, but it needs to keep happening. If, if it makes sense for people to keep kind of escalating their Snell expectations and, I, I understand like he has to be faster first of all it's like he, he if, if he lost 15 pounds and didn't get faster that would kind of be amazing so the question is kind of for me anyway like how much faster did he get did he exchange how much power did he lose yeah did he exchange some anchor ability like is, are there some plays that he made last year that he can't make now or some plays that he made at Kentucky that he can't make now and I'm not trying to say that there definitely is I just am not convinced that, that he didn't give something else up. And when I watched that game against the Giants, like, first of all, that might be the worst defense he faces all year. And I think he had a lot of room to work with. He didn't actually need to break many tackles. Like, I don't actually remember him really breaking any. It was kind of like he'd get these corners and he would turn them. I guess he, like, he looked good doing it, but I, I don't know if I want to say 
that he looked faster or, or like, you know, f- faster to the point that he's a fundamentally different player anymore. But because uh, I'm thinking especially about how like Alexander Madison or even Malcolm Brown last week is like sometimes guys just come in and, and run really hard early in the year and, and they kind of just fade over the course of the year. And I feel like Snell won't fade exactly, but they're, they're, it'll be tighter defense the, the, every game going forward because the Giants are just hopeless. They're so bad on defense. And I think this this game should be a good setup for them. I mean, it's in uh, Pittsburgh, not Denver. Like if it would have been in Denver, I'd say like, eh, this is probably like a Snell trap game for me. But since it's in Pittsburgh uh, and Mark Barron, I think, is still hurt at inside linebacker. Uh, Von Miller, of course, is out. The Broncos are setting up for a very bad game flow projection here where the Steelers should have the ball a lot. And uh, even a good defense would be liable to get worn out over the course of a game like that. And the Broncos defense isn't good. Uh, Losing AJ Bouye can't help at corner either. That's, that's more first downs. It's more potential carries to, to divvy up that could go to Snell. So if, if Connor is out, then Snell has to be something like a top, I don't know, 12 sort of running back play this week, but I I don't know what the Connors latest status is. Exactly. And I I think if nothing else, um, when it comes to the the Steelers backfield where we didn't know what it was going to happen, if James Connor were to get hurt, I think we at least have an idea of who the favorite would be to take over in like a seriously fantasy relevant way. And it it is um, Benny Snell. And then, you know, on the other side um, with the, with this Denver team, with this Denver defense, I was pretty impressed with, I mean, they really, really made Tennessee work for it on, on, uh, on Monday night on, on the ground. And, you know, I hadn't seen a whole lot of Alexander John, Johnson before but that dude thumps like, like I was very impressed with him Josie Jewell uh, it's kind of a like, dark story because uh I think you do remember Alex he, he went by AJ Johnson he was the Tennessee linebacker so did, did he tackle Nick Chubb uh, I don't know, but he, he was kicked off of uh, the Tennessee team basically because of like a rape accusation. Oh, so yeah, because I don't want to say he's, he's good on I was football. Too, like, I was like, who the hell is Alex Johnson? I never heard of this. And it's like, oh, he was AJ before. Yeah, okay. So that that's not great, folks. But uh, but he is talented. I mean, there was, there was a reason why it was a big headline back when Tennessee kicked him off the team. Yep. And then Josie Jewell lo- looked good. He like lit up Derrick Henry at one point. I, I cannot believe that that happened. And then I feel like Jerry Atauchu is like always a guy that like it's like oh yeah he's a, he's actually pretty good. No one ever talks about him. I don't him, know but. why he hasn't gotten more chances. He was really good at Georgia Tech and he was yep. really young at the time. And then it's just like gets to the NFL and the teams are just like no he's a backup. He sucks. It's like just what if you let him try though? I don't Seriously, know. he's doing good so far. Yep. So. Um, the, 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 this Denver defense, not a pushover. Um, I, I guess you don't want to belabor the point on, on this game. Is there anything to look out for on, on the Broncos side before we move on? You know, obviously with I mean, Philip Lindsay Sutton's being in, dinged up. If Sutton's in, he can beat these corners. But I think, uh, you know, other than Noah Fant looked better yep. this year in that game than he did last year. But uh, he also was getting kind of those Robert Woods catches. So I'm not convinced that that keeps up. And I don't know. I'm definitely worried about Locke going into this uh, road setup against this defense, which is so ruthless yeah that that is going to be really really tough for for Locke and and you know the the concerns about Locke um after the rookie season you know that it was a very polarized I I think subset of people you know like people that are like oh Broncos are you know like a trendy uh make noise in the AFC team and then the other side is like well Drew Locke isn't that good and and uh score one for the Drew Locke isn't that good uh hive thus far but and uh it's not going to be great on Sunday against the Steelers so it 
it's going to be a minute before he starts to really move this offense. Uh, let's move on over to the Panthers going up against the Bucks. Panthers nine and a half point dogs on the road here. Do you trust the Bucks with that much? I don't know, man. I guess so, just because I, th- I feel like the Buccaneers' defense is good, and the Panthers' defense seems. I guess I can't tell if they're bad exactly, but they probably are. And Ronald Jones, Fournette, whoever needs to do it, they should be able to run. And uh, I guess we don't know. Is Godwin out for this game? He, I don't think he's been practicing. Okay, so I don't know what the deal with Evans will be if Godwin is out. I guess, I guess if one of them is out and then if Evans is still limited, that could be a little bit of asking for trouble. But if it needs to be an O.J. Howard week, a Gronk week, I, f- I feel like they should be able to make it work just because the – the Panthers basically have like an AAF or whatever kind of defense. Like it just isn't very good. And um, I don't know. I, f- I feel like at least with with the Buccaneers defense being the way it is, even if the Carolina defense kind of holds strong the first few drives, I feel like the Buccaneers will just get a time of possession advantage um, before just kind of wearing out whatever the Panthers had going in the first place. But um I don't know. I mean, do you, do you think Tom is is really that bad or is, is it kind of like the Saints defense might be good kind of thing? Because the, the Saints defense is supposed to be pretty good. I'm not a fair uh, person to ask about that. <laughs> I mean, I don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm not I guess I don't really want to pick that eight and a half, but I, I just feel like even that t- even that touchdown throw to Robbie Anderson, I didn't think Teddy looked that great on it. I feel like the defense basically blew it and like a good a good defense would have actually intercepted that pass. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, if DJ Moore is used outside the way they did in week one, and if Christian McCaffrey isn't being used as a pass catcher more than he was in week one, I feel like the Panthers offense is just not being managed correctly, which you can't get away with when you, when you're as bad or not as bad, like they're not good enough to be making mistakes like they have in my opinion. And I, I think against a defense like this, they might really sink. Yeah, that there is definite sink potential there, and and uh, with that, the Bucks could pull away a little bit. Um, I guess last question on this one: uh, Ronald Jones, I thought was among that that group of guys that that uh, you looked surprisingly good in Week One among among the running backs. Um, with what Josh Jacobs did against Carolina in Week One, I'm not equating it one to one here, but do you think that uh, Ronald Jones is like a, a nice DFS option this weekend? especially if the Bucks are, you know, game flow uh, positive here and, and have a lead? Well, Fournette didn't make any compelling case for himself, so I don't know why they would scale back Jones' usage. Uh, I don't think Jones is that great either. But, uh, yeah, without knowing his price, I mean, it, this, the game flow setup is perfect. Like, you know, classic, uh, you know, nearly double-digit favorite in a home game against a defense that's dubious at best. It's like the starting running back for that team that's favored has a pretty good, you know, about as good as you you can ask for a hit rate. So uh, he would have to blow it, you know, and I guess he could, but he would have to blow it. Yeah, he's blown it before, obviously. So people have the scar tissue of it. But I I think at the same time, a matchup against the Panthers uh, lessens the likelihood of him blowing especially it especially if godwin's around. out that's yeah that's so much usage to account for yes so i love the the tampa backfield specifically ronald jones for for this week in that matchup i think that that's w- the way that they're going to lean with it um in that game another game with, with a big spread um one that i think is also going to be difficult for the favorite team to cover the titans giving nine 
to the Jaguars. I mean, are we just repeating what happened last week? Uh, What was, you know, what am I missing? I guess, yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's coming down. I guess it opened at 11, which I don't know why that was so high. Um, The, the Titans, I feel like would be pretty vulnerable to the Jacksonville receivers if Dory Jackson especially is out again. And it kind of looks like he will be. Clowney's already nicked up. So, yeah, that's too many points, I feel like. Uh, and I, I don't exactly expect James Robinson to have a big game here. But he already did pretty well in week one. And those three receivers, Keelan Cole, Chenault, DJ Chark, of course, I, I don't see what the Titans – it's like it, Kevin Byard's a really great safety and those linebackers, especially J.M. Brown, can disrupt things in the middle of the field. But if they want to go deep to Chark and if, if they got Cole in single coverage, I don't I don't think the Titans can really stop that all day, especially not to like a double-digit lead and especially when they're so ground-dependent. Um, it will be interesting to see A.J. Brown against C.J. Henderson because C.J. Henderson had a big – Week one right. and uh, AJ Brown, of course, people are are already uh, panicking about. But um, I don't know. Henderson was struggling a bit in training camp. I remember reading about and AJ Brown's. Uh, let's see. AJ Brown is not um, whatever Ty Hilton or Michael Pittman. So it'll be interesting to see if if Henderson tries to kind of like you know really hit him in in the jaw. It it might he might just kind of miss and get ran past. Uh, mm-hmm. So. Um, I think I think Titans look pretty fundamentally sound here, but getting to double digit points, it's like I'd need a fifth quarter for that. And and especially when there's going to be no kicking game to kind of like raise the margins for you a little bit. Do you um, think Vrabel's already? Uh, oh yeah, PTSD'd back into last year. Oh, the the second <laughs> that, that uh, Goskowski shanked the first one, like it was on. He's been <laughs> kicker pilled. <Yeah>, it's it's. <laughs> Again, week one. Almost immediately he takes the kicker pill again. (laughs) The Titans, watching them, I love watching them to be clear, but they don't really look like any other NFL team. It's very, very interesting to to watch how they operate. But, you know, they get it done. You know, they obviously made the AFC Championship game last year. They have uh, really fun tight ends. If, If Corey Davis is finally starting to figure it out, then... That adds a whole nother element to to this offense. So uh, definitely like the Titans to win this one. I, I just I can't trust them with that much points, especially when they have no kicking game to speak of. Uh, let's move on over. Uh, let's get into the Washington football team going to face the Arizona Cardinals, one of the darlings of week one, going up to San Francisco and, and getting the win over the 49ers. Kyler Murray looked incredible in that game, ran for a lot of yardage, looked good doing that, and was uh, the, that rapport with DeAndre Hopkins immediately made me regret having, like, I think I have zero DeAndre Hopkins shares, or I might have one somewhere on a, on a best ball team, but I am already sick to my stomach for, for being light on that because I think that's a connection that's going to be sick all year long. It's kind of amazing to look at that box score from the game because when you when you pull up the box score on ESPN or I guess any site probably, you first see the passing stats. And I remember I wasn't watching that game, so I was pulling up the box score and I saw Kyler's uh, overall numbers as a passer. And I was like, oh, God, it's same crap as last year. It's, it's the same offense. And uh, then you look at DeAndre Hopkins' box score and like, oh, wait, no, it's not. Um, 
this, this is a little different. And it's still discouraging that the rest of the offense was such a drain. Um, it's, it's like as much as it was impressive for Hopkins, it, it was it was kind of concerning for the offense at large and specifically those other pass catchers because, you know, Kyler's getting the ball to Hopkins. So so why what's the other guy's excuse if, if one guy can do it? Um, and I think in the last week's case, it was a combination of just kind of the pass rush and, and the corner personnel um, It's like Hopkins is the kind of player who can do what he did in that game, but it would have always been unfair to expect Christian Kirk or Fitzgerald or Isabella or whatever to uh, get going in a game like that. Like that's not the game you circled on their schedule, getting your hopes up for. So I think that Kirk could get going in this one. I'm a little worried about, well, I'll be, I'll be worried about any quarterback going against the Washington pass rush, but since the, the Cardinals are so quick release oriented, as long as they don't leave themselves open to some other counter move by the Washington defense, I'm not sure Washington can really do anything. If, if their pass rush doesn't go, everybody else on the defense just kind of starts to look for look like what they actually are, which is not much. And uh, I guess Landon Collins is pretty good. Apke might be good. I don't really know. But those corners, I just don't think they can match up with with uh, the, the, the four-pronged threat that the, that the Cardinals can pose. So, uh, if Hopkins doesn't have another big game here, I feel like Kirk or Fitz or Isabella must have gone deep, something like that. So you mentioned how the Washington's defense can kind of start to fall apart if the pass rush doesn't get home. Do you think that that still could be like a, a major storyline in this game? Because, you, you know, you mentioned the, the Cardinals kind of struggling against that uh, that 49ers pass rush a week ago, and, and now they have to contend with, you know, what looks like one of the better pass rushing units in, in the league once again. Yeah, you don't want to make uh, the margin between your loss and victory the question of whether Kyler Murray runs for 100 yards because it's like, yeah, he can do that, but it's not the kind of thing you want to make your plans around. It's it's just too much to ask of a quarterback. So they need to find some way to keep the, the Washington defense from going full pass rush mode, which is to say they, they can't fall behind in this game. Because if they do fall behind and Washington start uh, starts to kind of disrespect the run, then even the kind of like basic low risk concepts in, in the Arizona passing game get more difficult to stop. So, or get more difficult to, uh, to, to, uh, conduct correctly. So I, I feel like they'll be fine. I, I mean, Dwayne Haskins, I have some long-term hope for last week was still kind of rough. And it, it, even if he, you know, even if he is good, he might struggle anyway, because that offensive line is so bad, especially on the left side. Um, Terry McLaurin against Patrick Peterson is, interesting i feel like i I think mclaurin's just awesome so i kind of think he can beat anybody but to be fair peterson is probably one of the the better corners to to kind of counter him with um steven sims oddly was not targeted very much last week i think that might be because of nickel roby coleman uh sims was oddly very efficient but low target volume whereas last year he was low efficiency off the charts target volume. So uh, maybe he kind of balances out here with like a seven or eight target game and maybe he catches five or six of those. Uh, Cause if he doesn't, I guess then I, I feel like the Cardinals have a good shot at covering that full touchdown. Yeah. At, at this moment, I, I like the Cardinals. Uh, I don't like them g- giving a touchdown here, you know, but at the same Their time, pass rush. I mean, I don't know where I didn't look up where they line up Chandler Jones, but if, if they just put him on the left side or the, the right, the, the right side of the defense, the left side of the offensive line, uh, that Washington just cannot block very well. 
No, and that that's a problem when Dwayne Haskins uh, does not move very well. So this should be a bigger Antonio Gibson game, though, if only because they, especially if Arizona can score early, uh, they they are an up tempo, max tempo offense, and if they can drag Washington into an up tempo approach, then Washington, if they if they run like sixty five plus snaps, it's like they're they're just going to have to start checking down to Gibson on some of those plays. Uh, my body is ready. Let's go, Antonio Gibson season. All right, let's move on. We got the Ravens going to Houston to face the Texans. Texans having the long layoff, having played uh, the Thursday night season opener. The Ravens looked good in their season opener against the Browns. Uh, Seven-point favorites on the road in this one. That's that's plenty. Um, but the, these two teams matched up a year ago. The Ravens kind of crushed them. Uh, the Texans don't have DeAndre Hopkins anymore. The run defense looked really bad last week. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I think I think Baltimore just <laughs> crushes them. I don't know. I feel like um, every single game going back a, at least a year with the Texans, we watched the same exact script with their offense, and that was with DeAndre Hopkins there too. Uh, as Deshaun Watson goes back to pass, no one's open. Uh, with Hopkins there, he would sometimes just chuck it at Hopkins, and that, that's how the first half would go. Sometimes Hopkins would catch them, sometimes he wouldn't. Second half shows up. There's still the dropping back. There's still the looking around, still no one open, still the chucking at DeAndre Hopkins occasionally. But if not that, he has to run. And you see it happen every single game. It doesn't really matter what the secondary is. It doesn't really matter who the receivers are. So these defenses pretty clearly know the route combos that the Texans run with their receivers, and they just sit on them with pretty common zone structures. It's like Deshaun Watson was talking about that Carolina game, a game where they had like Ross Cockrell as their number two corner, and Deshaun Watson couldn't get anything going. And after the game, he's saying, all right, look, they're playing cover four. And it was just like against cover four, their playbook was useless. They couldn't get anybody open. And uh, the Panthers with these these AAF uh, corners were just sitting on all the routes of Hopkins and Will Fuller, Kenny Stills. So I feel like against the Ravens, there's just un- – unless the Ravens lay down or inexplicably just lay an egg, I don't know what can be done with this Houston offense. I really think it's in kind of like a terminal phase uh, until Bill O'Brien gets fired, and that might never happen because he apparently has his claws in the management or, or like the ownership of the team. So – uh, Deshaun should not have signed that contract and, uh, they're going to lose this game. I think probably by like 13 or 14 or something. I, I tend to agree. I think the Ravens w- will take care of business in this one. One thing I will say though, uh, the Browns ran the ball pretty well against the Ravens last week. Um, I think that that could continue and it should bode well for David Johnson. I think I thought David Johnson actually looked pretty good against the chiefs. Um, and I think another thing, you know, tying it back to Bill O'Brien as always, um, Bill O'Brien doesn't quit on running the ball. So even if they are down, David Johnson's still going to get looks and still obviously going to uh, get looks in the in the passing game as well. So um, I think that, that if if anything uh, for this Texans offense, I think David Johnson should be fine. Um, and I will say, you know, kind of going back to what we talked about very, very early on in this podcast uh, with the Ravens pass rush not really getting home, uh, that could negate some of the problems that, that Deshaun Watson has occasionally with holding the ball a little bit too long. So if, if the pass rush isn't a problem and he has time to operate uh, in a clean pocket, that, that could uh, help things and you know certainly help at least a Will Fuller. But good Lord, a Brandon Cooks or um, Randall Cobb need to do something better than like their you know mime show for 45 snaps last week. That was just the most invisible snaps from established veteran that i think i can remember yeah i don't know if cooks is any healthier this week and i I feel like 
Cobb kind of just had his routes sat on, and he had a lot of Tyron Matthew as his matchup. So, um, not that this is any better. I mean, every you would expect Will, Will Fuller to get shadowed by Humphrey, right? And then yeah. the leftover is going to have to run it. I guess Cooks can beat Peters. A number of receivers can beat Peters, but it's like in the they in the never do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in Baltimore, it's a little different, and and they they. With Humphrey taking basically the biggest burden, it's kind of like teeing things up all the time for Peters, and he, he generally does not get beat. So I don't know. I really think that there's there's this problem that the Texans have that for about a year now, defenses just know their whole thing, and it's just – the question of when it gets fixed is the question of how long the Texans are willing to wait before firing their completely inept coach. You know, I, th- I thought it was going to happen in the first half of that Bills playoff game last year. I was like, okay, they, if nothing else, silver lining, Bill O'Brien gets canned. He, nope. <laughs> like, seized power in that team. Like, he, he is kind of more of an owner than probably some minority owners are. Like, he, he – he really does have control there and i Something's don't think he's going anywhere Houston. <laughs> yeah there really is i mean i don't think he's going anywhere nope 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 um and then i guess last thing to talk about with the ravens obviously um it it bore out that marquise brown and mark andrews are, are the the money makers as far as the passing game goes um i think if you have a lot of mark ingram uh there's reason to be concerned although on a per carry basis, J.K. Dobbins didn't look that much better. He just got the, the the goal line carries, so that that obviously goosed his overall fantasy production. But I think as the season goes on, uh, Mark Ingram probably does take a back seat. Um, Gus Edwards, I think, was the second running back on the field, but he only ended up with four carries. So it looks like the Ravens are, you know, I think they once they built the lead, they were able to toy around with the with the running back rotation a little bit. But it does feel like Dobbins is going to be RB1 in Baltimore before too long. It's just a matter of how much room there is within like the just the amount of carries that they give out um, for Ingram to still be someone that's even flex viable. So I think that that's something to look out for um, this weekend against Houston. Um, anything to add to that? Uh, if you have him, if you have Ingram, hopefully it's in best ball. And same for Dobbins, really. I mean, they can choose, they, they can run all over this defense with whoever they choose. And uh, that's what we're, you know, that, that's what it's all going to be based on, whatever they feel like, basically. <laughs> so, yeah, hard to, hard to know exactly what, what that's going to end up looking like. So, yeah, best ball, better approach for, for uh, approaching that uh, Ravens backfield. Let's get on over to the Chiefs Chargers here. Um, Chiefs, eight and a half point favorites in this one, over under 47 and a half. Chargers really, really underwhelming first game. Uh, barely uh, escaped with the win o- over a rookie quarterback, making his first start. Uh, yeah, the Chiefs look ne- like needed the Chiefs. The offensive interference. To yeah, get, uh, right. The win. I think uh, it's already gone up three points. The spread from five and a half to eight and a half. I think the Chiefs. I mean, I know it's asking a lot to get double-digit wins in the NFL, but I don't think Tyrod Taylor can play. And I don't think that the Chargers corners can run with the Chiefs offense at all. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say 14 points sooner than I'd say seven points. Yeah, so I'm right there with you. I think the Chiefs uh, are in a position to just kind of crush the Chargers in, in this one. Um, I guess we, we haven't talked about um, the Edwards Hilaire debut um, um because we haven't had a pod since then yeah. uh, anything to to add on to that because I, I felt like the the discourse went it, it went two very like extreme ways it seemed like like you know some people were just you know taking their victory laps and understandably so he had a really really nice game for fantasy purposes and had a lot of volume a lot of carry volume um so that was 
unexpected in the sense that, especially with the volume, not, not that he had a good game against Houston, um, but there's another side and, you know, I, I don't know if I'm like firmly in this camp or anything one way or the other, but I think it's fair to point out that Edwards Hilaire cannot move an NFL pile. At least it seems like at, at, at current status. And I think that that was a frustrating thing, especially um, once the chiefs got in close. Um, and I think if that continues that, that lack of diminishing returns, I'm not banishing him to like the Devin Singletary, you're out of the game once we get in close type of thing. But I think that that's something to at least monitor. I, I hope I'm not just being like someone who's trying to like rain on the, on the Edwards Hilaire parade, but um, no. I thought it was concerning in that sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought he was a good pick for the Chiefs, and um, he, he was my second pre-draft running back after Jonathan Taylor. So uh, I, I definitely think there was reason to expect this sort of ability from him. I don't know what everyone is taking away. Like the, the range of takeaways is pretty wide because you got some people who look at this and they're like, oh, my God, 25 carries. He's going to get – that means he's going to be Christian McCaffrey workload because he's going to get more catches. And I guess that's possible. Don't get me wrong. I'm surprised that he got 25 carries. I'm surprised that the Chiefs went into the year that committed to him and, and with you know just Daryl Williams behind him on the bench. So uh, I did not see it. I did not see this level of commitment coming in because Andy Reid never showed this level of commitment really to any running back. Like he doesn't give anybody 25 carries, let alone his rookie running backs. Like even Brian Westbrook didn't really get going until his third year. He's gotten complacent with the Super Bowl win. Andy Reid just let it all go to his head now. Yeah, I mean, it's it makes I totally agree with his approach, though, because he like I was saying earlier, it's like the difference between him and whatever, like Matt Patricia or. Uh, I can't remember who I was complaining about, but uh, it's like Andy Reid decided we're going. Oh, it was Justin Jefferson and Mike Zimmer. Uh, Andy Reid decided we're going to get him ready. They weren't mm-hmm. going to see get to training camp and say, "We'll see how he does," and then you know make the depth chart accordingly. They say, "Like, oh no, he's got the most talent. It's our job to make sure he can apply it immediately as much as possible." So they committed to him, but. Um, it's a not in Andy Reid's nature to give 25 carries out in a game. I think that was dictated by the the Texans sitting their safeties way back, and I think that's why you saw a lot of underneath targets too. I don't think they mean to do that every week, and they can't because I mean he's five seven two oh seven, and I know that makes him good for leverage against tacklers. Like he bounces off people, but like you're saying, he doesn't really drive a pile. He breaks tackles, but it's because tackles kind of just slip off of him. It's not it's like he gets hit and he keeps his balance while the other guy kind of just, you know, slides off of his back and he keeps going. It's not because he decked that guy and, you know, walked over him. Mm -hmm. So um, he took a few big hits. I feel like he took probably more hits in that game than he probably did in a month of college football. And especially last year. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember him really getting squared up last year at LSU and he got squared up at least got. Yeah. yeah, he got squared up a couple times pretty good in this game, and he, t- he withstood the contact because he's good at absorbing it, but you're just asking for trouble, and he will have – through if he 25 carries won't be the rate, but if you did give him 25 carries a game, he would get past last year's t- uh, carry total in 15 college games in nine NFL games, so they can't keep doing it. Something has to change. Uh, I think pretty obviously he'll catch more passes going forward. I think just as obviously he's going to average about – he's probably going to finish closer to like 15 carries per game than 25. But then even if that is true, they almost need to add somebody like Spencer Ware or something like that. And I almost, I, I feel like that's something that could happen, but it uh, looks like they're going with Daryl Williams for now. And he's pretty, uh, you know, he, he is not threatening to, at least to a player like Clyde Edwards Hilaire. No, no, he's not going to take, but he could just be like, 
once uh, I guess my my main like point was like if they keep giving Edward Soulaire that the carry is near the goal line and he keeps not converting. Darrell Williams at least uh, is good at being bigger uh, than Edward Soulaire. So he's got that. Yeah. And like, um, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess I, uh, I, I think Edward Soulaire looks very good, but also people were, were taking away too much. Like they were starting to say like, you know, rookie running backs who do this in their first game. Th- there's, yeah. They're just, the they, want, like, they want the Kareem hunt high. They're oh, chasing yeah. it. They just chase that dragon. And it's like Edwards Lair is good, but we don't need to get insane with what what our expectations are. It's like, if, like someone like a Ahmad Bradshaw could have done exactly everything that Clyde Edwards Lair did in that game. And I don't think anyone, if you tried to compare him to Ahmad Bradshaw, you would have been told like, "Oh, you you're a hater" or something. And it's like, no, you're just like losing perspective on what one game means. Right, right. No, that that totally. And people people don't remember or don't put enough respect on how good Ahmad Bradshaw was towards like that the, too. Yeah, he yeah. was insane. He was, he was like oh seven oh eight. Like man, that I thought that that Giants team was like that two thousand eight one. The year after they won the Super Bowl was like just as good, if not better. But they they blew it in the playoffs that following year. Um. I guess that, that that's a sign that we need to move on. Sorry. Um, I guess one one other thing, Chargers related, um, backfield. Any thoughts? Uh, I think Eckler is going to be fine. I mean, he's a good runner, and they're giving him more carries. Yeah. Uh, Tyrod Taylor is a limiting factor for the pass catching production, but I wouldn't be surprised if Taylor has I don't know two more starts. And I know everybody hates Herbert. I kind of do too, but I refuse to believe that in a league where Daniel Jones and Josh Allen can do the things that they've done, that Herbert can't do something more useful, at least than what Tyrod Taylor can. Yeah, he he can't be any worse. Um, and then. I've picked up Josh Kelly in a couple spots. What what do you think of him uh, moving forward? He he, did, he got yeah, some of the like, important carries. Yeah, he's better than Justin Jackson. I mean, Justin Jackson can do some stuff. Kelly can do more, including things that are more important. And it's just as simple as that, I think. Okay, so so it, I'm still not ready to to move Kelly into my starting lineups anywhere necessarily, but um, I'm definitely happy if I, if I ended up scooping him. And I think that um, this could be a backfield where. Eckler still gets his, but but Kelly's uh, you know works his way in, into flex viability as the season progresses. I guess yeah, he probably he probably needs those carries, and I wouldn't quite expect it this week of all weeks. But um, anybody who got Josh Kelly in rest ball or something is like they're they're looking golden. That's that's a great you know fourteen fifteenth round pick or something. Yes, definitely. Um, let's move on over to the night games quickly. Uh, we don't have time for deep dives on them. Uh, Patriots going across the country to uh, face the Seahawks. Um, Seahawks four point favorites in that one. Uh, Cam Newton obviously looked great in that debut for the Patriots. Uh, Russell Wilson uh, looks like the MVP for this year. Maybe I mean like I, I think that that it, it, Falcons defense, but that was interesting that they went with like the Brian Dable offense, the airing it out, the, the instead of um, running it early. It's like Chris Carson with two touchdown catches. I know. I thought I thought I was just like world. yeah. I thought I was out yeah just out of my mind when when I saw that the Carson had two uh, receiving touchdowns and then I watched him and I was like oh okay. They're gonna have to run better in this one though because I just don't think those New England corners will let them do what the Falcons defense did. I still take the Seahawks to win this because I also expect uh, Cam to have probably a rougher game um i think this could be a little more ugly than people expect i don't know okay uh it should be a fun sunday night game but yeah it could it could be one that's not uh easy on the eyes necessarily so some good defense being played potentially um and then rounding it out uh we got the the 
opening debut of the Death Star in Las Vegas. We, we've you know been out to Vegas a couple times over the over the last couple of years. Got to see you know the building in progress. Uh, I'm excited just for that. I think that stadium looks absolutely sick. I'm that's really cool. Um, but other than that, no Michael Thomas here. Correct me if I'm wrong, or if if this take is like just too. Uh, I'm like I need to unplug for a second because the initial reports about Michael Thomas, where it's like, oh, it's not that bad, but it's a high ankle sprain, but like he's going to try to play through it. I think if I'm if I'm a guy that has Michael Thomas on on his team and I have him in, I think only one spot, but it, it is the NFFC. I almost prefer him to just take the month and just oh, totally. get that thing ready to rock for for like the rest of the season than just this playing on one leg act for for 16 weeks of getting minimal returns on it. So I th- it obviously hurts the Saints without him. He's such a huge uh part of that passing game and that and that offense as a whole, but it's better for Thomas to just like get that thing absolutely right and then you know be, the Saints are in win the Super Bowl mode like they can't sacrifice Michael Thomas just to like have him out there for a game against the Raiders that they should be able to take care of business but question for you now is what does this passing game look like anyone to target because I know that Traquan Smith has been kind of like a trendy pickup this week I have completely avoided that one I'm out on him I'm out on you know downfield guys for the Saints really in general just because Breeze is back there um, but what if nothing else, what does this uh, Saints passing game look like uh, Sunday night and, and while Michael Thomas is out Monday night? I'm sorry. Well, I was low on Emmanuel Sanders going into this year, but that was pretty much just because Michael Thomas was in the way. For this game, I think he'll do the job. Like I, I think he'll be just fine. Uh, not that he can do all the things Michael Thomas can, but I, I think he can do enough of the similar principles that Drew Brees should be fine and uh, Kamara, I think, should be fine. The Saints defense is tough against the runner, at least it should be. And if you're stopping Josh Jacobs and you're leaving Derek Carr to, I guess, throw to whatever, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, if he's trying to go to Waller, it's Demario Davis, who's a concerning matchup. Um, I think I think everything is set up pretty soundly for the Saints to win this, even without Thomas. And they definitely should not let Thomas play. Like trying to come back from a high ankle sprain, a proper high ankle sprain after one game or sorry, after one week is not, uh, it's, it's silly. It's, it's, it's only slightly less stupid than when Jerry Rice tried to come back from a torn ACL in like two months. (laughs) Like in, and again, like context, it it matters for the saints like that. They have to, they're looking at the long game. Like they're looking at, um, you know, being, uh, you know, in the super bowl in February so that they can't afford to sacrifice Michael uh, Thomas now. Jared cook revenge narrative. There we go. That's what I like to end and, the pod and with. And Latavius, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh, so, there we go. They've got it. Oh, man. Yeah, look out, Raiders. It's going to be a long night on, on Monday, and everyone is going to be watching. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Thursday Rotowire NFL podcast. Uh, for Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening, and tune in tomorrow. we got the DFS special podcast. That's with Scott Jenstead and Andrew Laird, so stay tuned uh, for that one. And again, thanks for listening.